This edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast is dedicated to the memory of the Fink, Howard Finkel, who passed away this past Thursday at age 69. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Hello again, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number 101. I want to thank you for joining me last week on episode 100. We did it live on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks to Chris Maloney and us using the TNT setup. We were able to do it live with a roundtable talking about WrestleMania. It then has been available on all of our outlets, which hopefully you have subscribed and joined us whether it's on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, you name it, we're on it. Please share this with your friends. It's available everywhere. We want to build this community up and get a stronger uh, following. I know things are kind of down right now with the COVID-19 shutting pretty much the whole wrestling industry down except for AEW and WWE, but there's still things we can talk about. So, I'll be right back after these short messages with this week's news. See the stars of tomorrow being built today at the Tyson Dukes Russell Factory each week on the production line. Available on Facebook and YouTube. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbag Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Now, this show normally starts off with the Ontario indie wrestling scene, but as I said at the beginning, there isn't a scene to be uh, talked about. They All promotions are shut down, wrestling schools are shut down, so without that content, there's nothing to discuss at this starting point normally. However, I am looking at other options to provide content which will either be incorporated into this show or have individual shows for them. I'm thinking things like 50 Questions With and interviewing Ontario Indie Wrestling Stars or maybe if we can luck out and get some bigger names, we'll do that. There's also talk about doing game shows. Chris Jones, Chris Maloney, myself, and Stephen O'Neill are working on 
those concepts and we'll have those out in public as soon as we know. Of course, every Thursday you can join me for a TNT with Chris Maloney and a variety of different panel guests and interviews every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. I'm also working on another concept for a visual or audio tournament style podcast where we'll get a panel of three to five participants, have a bracket full of different participants, whether it's greatest intercontinental champions, greatest gimmicks, greatest tag teams, world champions, jobbers, worst gimmicks, women of all time. There's so many things we can do, including managers, and we will create a tournament bracket and run down who would possibly win in this fantasy warfare style tournament. So be sure to keep an eye on our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram for information on how you can be a part of that and a group that will be formed for running polls that will help create a family feud style game show in the coming weeks. With that said, we're going to move on to AEW. AEW is still producing shows for Dynamite on TNT each and every Wednesday night, and it's also available here in Canada on TSN. Now, they're still also going to be doing their Double or Nothing pay-per-view. It is scheduled for May 23rd. It will not be happening from Las Vegas, though, and they are going to be, I guess, available on their regular outlets such as Fight TV and traditional pay-per-view. What the matches are going to be leading to that or for that night are still yet to be determined, along with the location of where these matches are going to be recorded from. Whether it's going to be live or pre-taped is still up in the air. As more details come about, I'll hopefully get to put them on here and fill you guys in as well. What we do know for certain is that there will be the finals of the TNT TV title tournament that currently Cody has moved on to the semifinals along with Lance Archer. Cody is waiting for the winner of Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara, which will happen this week on Dynamite. And Lance Archer is awaiting the winner of Kip Sabian and Dustin Rhodes. And ultimately will lead to the finals being at double or nothing. This past week's Dynamite show was opened with Jake Roberts and he was with the murder hawk monster Lance Archer and they were talking about the TNT tournament which is perfectly designed for him and he's going to dominate the whole tournament and become the first ever TNT champion. This was leading up to the first round matchup of Cole Cabana against the murder hawk monster Lance Archer to see if they would advance to the semifinals. Of course, as I just mentioned of what's expected for double or nothing, Lance Archer did end up beating Colt Cabana. The show itself for Dynamite was hosted by Tony Schiavone and Le Champion Chris Jericho. And so they were at the broadcast table when this match took place. Throughout the night, we also saw different videos from uh, personalities from 
wrestling and MMA who were giving their view on who would win the main event of the evening featuring Jake Hager challenging John Moxley for the AEW Championship in a empty arena match that was going to be commentated by JR. The first segment saw Aaron Hawani from ESPN and AEW announcer Taz give their views on who would end up winning the main event. And naturally, the MMA guys chose Jake Hager and the wrestling guys chose John Moxley to win. Then we had the golden one, Cassandra Golden, taking on Dr. Brick Baker. Both Anna Jay and Hikaru Shida were watching the match from ringside area uh, beyond the barricades. This was pretty much a quick match with Baker putting Golden's mouth on the bottom rope and stomping it uh, the back of her head. And then Baker picked up the pin on Golden for the victory. Jericho mentioned that Golden is now going to need a root canal. So essentially it looks like Britt Baker is creating her own clientele for her dental business after beating all the uh, talent. Then there was a vignette featuring the Bubbly Bunch, which the graphic looked like the Brady Bunch, but it was the inner circle uh, making jokes about their competition. Next up was Shug D, or as Chris Jericho likes to uh, call him, Pineapple Pete, taking on the Spanish god Sammy Guevara. Uh, during the whole match, Tony and Chris really didn't know how to pronounce Shug's name, and were butchering it the whole time. Darby Allen had done a uh, standing su uh, vertical suplex. He even posed like Chris Jericho to try and do the pin. That uh, didn't happen. Uh, and the match continued, but of course, Tim Guevara did hit the inverted torture rack and then dropped Shug right on his knee, picking up the victory over Shug D. So Sammy Guevara got the victory, and then he started yelling that that'll be an example of what will happen to Darby Allen, as Darby and Sammy are set to go against each other next week in the AEW TNT tournament. Big John McCarthy from Bellator ended up doing his prediction for uh, the Hager Moxley match, and of course, he chose Hager to end up winning. The next matchup saw uh, Superbad Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford in his corner taking on uh, Chucky T, who had Orange Cassidy in his uh, corner. Basically, there was uh, some interference on both uh, the seconds in the match. And in the end, Penelope Ford connected with a top rope her, uh, her corona on uh, Chuck as the referee had her back turned and Kip ended up rolling up Chucky e. T for the victory. The chairman of AEW, Sean Spears, quickly disposed of Justin Law in a very quick match where Spears didn't even take off his shirt. He had a running C4 for the three count, and he's getting ready for his rebuild after losing to Cody, but beating Billy Gunn on AEW Dark. He's still looking for a tag team partner, 
and we haven't really seen, for obvious reasons, much of Tully Blanchard since the quarantine has happened. Then it was time for the main event. Tony and Chris Jericho ended their time on commentary and turned it over to Jim Ross. And we were back at Daly's place for the empty arena match between John Moxley and Jake Hager. Both guys started off really slow, trying to feel each other out. Um, they also were doing a lot of attempts at submission moves, which they were still allowing rope breaks to happen while inside the ring for this non-sanctioned or, well, sanctioned, but empty arena match. So rope breaks still retained, but they could go anywhere within the arena and use any weapons. So it was a really odd mix of rules that they were going with on this one. As I said, they were going back and forth with hard hits uh, and also submission moves. This match was about half hour to 40 minutes in length. Uh, near the end, Haggard had taken a chair and hit Moxley in the ankle and then put an ankle lock on uh, Moxley. Mox then uh, countered and took down Hager to get a submission from the bottom. Hager was able to uh, power up and hoist uh, Moxley uh, to his feet. They began exchanging uh, strikes again, and Hager hit a low blow on uh, Moxley, but Moxley then hit the chair in Hager's face and dropped him on the chair with a paragon shift. Moxley then covered uh, Jake Hager for the pin and retained the AEW championship. So next week, we are going to see what happens in the tournament, and hopefully they'll start setting up more matches for what is going to be expected for double or nothing. What I did find interesting on this episode also is that on the April 8th episode, they talked about the rankings and actually did a good spot in it for making you want to actually care about the rankings. And that's probably the first time ever. And all it did was take 60 seconds or less to have that happen. For some reason, they didn't do that this week. However, in this case, we got some time on the show. Let's run through the rankings in AEW. For the tag teams, in number five, with a one and two record, are the Lucha Brothers. In number four, with a two and three record, is SCU, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. Coming in at number three, with a four and three record, are the best friends, Trent and Chuck Taylor. In at number two, with a two and two record, is Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. And number one is the Dark Order, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson with a perfect five and zero record. And of course, the champions for the tag teams with a perfect six and zero record in 2020 is Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Looking at the women's division for the rankings, at number five is Britt Baker. She has a two and three record so far in 2020. At number four is Rio. She is three and three. In third place is Yuko Sakazaki at a one and one. Chris Statlander has the number two position with a two and three record. And in number one with a seven and one record 
is Hikaru Shida. And of course, the champion for the women's division with a 4-1 record is Nyla Rose. Wrapping up the rankings for the week of April 15th is in the men's division. At number 5, Darby Allen with a 4-2 record. Kenny Omega has a 4th spot with a 3-0 record. Chris Jericho is in 3rd place with an 0-1. In 2nd place, Cody with a 6-1 record. And first place was Jake Hager with a 4-1 record. And the champion with a perfect record of 8-0 is John Moxley. So this conc- concludes the report on AEW. Hello, what is up everybody? It is Ocho from the Ocho and Ortiz Wrestling Podcast. Home to the best kept secret in the wrestling podcasting community. Our live podcast from Greektown Wrestling and Union Wrestling. We also discuss a lot of other things. WWE, AEW. Every once in a while we throw in New Japan and ROH. Be sure you're checking out our show. We are available on most major podcasts and platforms, especially on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, ochoandortiz.podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media, at Ocho Wrestling on Twitter, at Ocho and Ortiz on Instagram, or facebook.com slash ochoandortiz. We also do have a YouTube page, so be sure you're checking out our content there. Just search for Ocho and Ortiz in the search bar. Now, let's get you back to your regular programming. Yo, this is Tarek. You listen to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Before we get into the huge news that happened throughout the week involving WDE, I'm going to run down the results from this week's TV. Ross started off with the United States champion Andrade confronting WWE champion Drew McIntyre. He reminded Drew that he had beaten Drew for the NXT championship the last time they met and wanted a shot at the WWE championship. Then there was a qualifying match for the women's money in the bank and Asuka defeated Ruby Riot. Alistair Black came out and he defeated only Lurkin. Of course, we were endured with Some really bad commentary from Jerry the King Lawler, who clearly has not seen Lorcan before and was just reacting to what he was seeing as opposed to being a somewhat viable journalist. And I really didn't see a reason for Jerry Lawler to be there at all. Then Rob Women's Champion Becky Lynch addressed the future winner of the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. She also put out a warning to Shayna Baszler, knowing that she was still gunning for her. This led to our next Money in the Bank qualifying match for the women, as Shayna Baszler quickly defeated Sarah Logan due to match stoppage when Shayna Baszler stomped on Sarah Logan's arm, and then she stormed out of the performance center. Our next match saw Austin Theory, who was with Selena Vega, defeat Akira Tozawa. Now, after the match, they had Andrade and Angel Garza come out and beat up Akira Tozawa some more to send a message to Drew McIntyre. Then Angel Garza defeated Tehuti Miles, and they once again triple-teamed him 
sending a message to Drew McIntyre. The third and final Money in the Bank qualifying match was Kerry Zane challenging Nia Jax, but unfortunately this half of the Kabuki Warriors did not beat Nia Jax, and Jax moves on to the Money in the Bank match that's happening on May 10th. Then NXT Women's Champion Charlotte Flair came out and addressed Io Shirai, who had won the latter match just the week before on NXT. Bobby Lashley defeated No Way Jose in a quick match, even with uh, distraction from Lana, and Bobby Lashley had gotten out of the ring and told her just to be quiet. And then the Viking Raiders defeated the new team of Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Alexander and Ricochet now have matching trunks, so they're trying to solidify themselves as a legit team and maybe climb the ranks of the tag team division. But the Viking Raiders got the victory, and they want a shot at the Street Profits, who tried to make fun of them, but then were corrected by Bianca Belair to try and get their head back in the game and focus on the Viking Raiders and not just joke around. Throughout the night, we had been also seeing Seth Rollins basically standing in the back, contemplating what had happened with him, uh, with Kevin Owens, and that once again saying about the uh, Messiah will rise. So perfect timing since it was Easter Monday. Um, the main event saw WD champion Drew McIntyre defeat United States champion Andrade in the champion versus champion match. Now, yes, it's good that this happened in a way, but I think if they had done something else for the finish, including having Angel Garza and Austin Theory around to maybe cause a disqualification or whatever, just to make them seem more powerful as a threesome uh, and help build them up would have been appreciated. But after the match, they attempted to attack Drew McIntyre. I believe Garza had even taken out McIntyre with a chop block just at the same time as Seth Rollins' music hit, and he ran to the ring and hit two curb stomps on Drew McIntyre, and the show ended with Jerry Lawler basically saying that Seth was stomping out another non-believer. Over on NXT on Wednesday, Fabian Eichner uh, challenged Finn Balor, who was back in the United States, and Balor defeated Eichner. Zaya Lee defeated Aaliyah. Akira Tozawa defeated Isaiah Swerve Scott in the tournament for the interim NXT championship. Um, this was first block B match that was going on uh, with them, and Tozawa now has a point in his bracket. Tegan Knox defeated Raquel Gonzalez. She's still trying to get her hands on her former friend Dakota Kai. Then Dexter Loomis defeated Tehuti Miles in a very quick match, and Finn Balor confronted Velveteen Dream. Adam Cole had sent a message that he had no intentions of confronting Velveteen Dream this week, 
and having grown impatient with the Panama City Playboy ducking him, Dream stepped into the podium on the top of the stage and issued uh, a heated response. But when he called Cole arguably the greatest NXT champion of all time, that's when Finn Balor decided to come out to correct him on that. As a former NXT champion, Finn Balor pointed out that, you know, it was kind of disrespectful for what he said, and if he continued, that it could cause some problems. Well, being Velveteen Dream, he decided to take things a step further and challenged Finn Balor for a match next week on NXT. The main event saw the Broserweights defend the tag team titles against the Undisputed Era. In this case, the Broserweights consisted of Matt Riddle and handpicked by Pete Dunne was Timothy Thatcher since Pete is no longer able to be in the U.S. at this moment. So Thatcher was the defending partner with Matt Riddle. And in the same case with Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly was not representing the Undisputed Era, Roderick Strong took his part with and teamed with Bobby Fish because O'Reilly has diabetes and could be affected by the coronavirus. So a couple of makeshift tag teams going after the tag team titles, but in the end, Thatcher and Riddle ended up retaining the tag team titles together. The show ended with Tommaso Ciampa coming out to address the final match they had with Johnny Gargano and put to rest their uh, blood feud and he applauded him uh, Gargano saying he was a better man despite having Candice LeRae be part of the way he ended up winning but it was uh, the way it went down and before Ciampa could continue speaking he was attacked from behind, and all you saw was him get laid out, and you saw a uh, black patent leather boot also, but it wasn't by the person who attacked him. It was who accompanied him. Of course, those who are watching know that that was Killer Cross, who I escapes me what his name is going to be, Cassian Cross or something like that, and... Of course, he was accompanied by Scarlett Bordeaux, and we're not sure what her name's going to be yet either when they finally get revealed on NXT. Hopefully this uh, Wednesday night, they will make an appearance and address why Ciampa was attacked the way he was. Then over on SmackDown this past Friday, it started off with Tamina defeating Sasha Banks with some help from Lacey Evans. Bailey was on commentary at the time, and Tamina needed this win over Sasha to score herself a shot at the SmackDown Women's Championship, which will happen at Money in the Bank on May 10th. Sheamus defeated Denzel Dejanet in a very quick match. Uh, Sheamus took exception to Michael Cole continually acknowledging Jeff Hardy and his return because we ended up seeing part three of uh, Jeff Hardy's return uh, to the SmackDown brand in the uh, video diary that they're creating with him. 
Carmella backstage had approached Dana Brooke about why she was going for a spot in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match when they have a tag team title match to worry about. But Dana Brooke just said she wasn't worried that she could beat Naomi and also team with Carmella to get the tag team titles and be in the ladder match. So she was very confident in what she's uh, going to be doing. And she was right because she ended up defeating Naomi to score a spot in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Over on the men's side, there was a qualifying match with Dana Bryan defeating Cesaro to earn a spot in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Both uh, Nakamura and Drew Gulak were at ringside for their respective partners. Since John Morrison had to defend the tag team titles singly against Jimmy Uso and Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania, on SmackDown, it was The Miz's turn to defend the tag team titles, this time against Big E and Jey Uso, the other half of the tag teams. And this time it wasn't in a ladder match, it was in a, just a regular triple threat match. At the end, though, Big E was able to secured the tag team titles for the New Day for the eighth time. And those are the results for this week's TV for WWE. Of course, they're leading in NXT towards crowning an interim Cruiserweight champion with a G1-style tournament with Pool A, consisting of four people doing round-robin style, battling the most points winner from Pool B, which has four people in it. Uh... Pool A has Kushida, Drake Maverick, Tony Nese, and Jake Atlas. Pool B has Isaiah Swerve Scott, El Hiro Del Fantasma, Akira Tozawa, and Jack Gallagher. We've already seen Akira Tozawa pick up the first point in Pool B. We'll have to see what happens afterwards. Then it was also announced that during SmackDown that Money in the Bank will happen on May 10th and it will be coming from the WD headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. They will be starting at the ground floor of the building and having to make their way to the roof where the briefcase will be suspended somehow uh, above maybe a ring or some setup. I don't know how they're going to do it, but apparently it's going to be filmed in movie style, uh, much like, I guess, AJ and Undertaker or even Tommaso Ciampa and... Johnny Gargano was for their NXT match. Um, should be interesting to see how they do it twice in one night with the men's and women's ladder matches being on the line with the briefcases, but we'll have to see how it puts together on May 10th. Not sure where all the other matches are going to take place, but they'll, they'll be recorded from the uh, Performance Center and then be spliced in with whatever happens at the headquarters in Stanford. But we'll find out. Uh, currently for the women, Asuka, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Dana Brooke are in the women's match, and Dana Bryan is in the men's match. We're also going to see Bray Wyatt challenge Braun for the Universal title, and Bailey is going to defend the SmackDown women's title for against Tamina. I did forget to mention that there was a Moment of Bliss talk show 
um, at the start of SmackDown this week, and they had Braun Strowman on, and he received a gift from Bray with his old black sheep mask. Uh, he said he wasn't going to be involved with Bray's mind games because he knows Bray so well, but he totally fell for the gift that was given to him and was kind of entranced by it when he saw his mask and then heard the laughing of Bray. So they're going to play some mind games, uh, hopefully rehash some of the stuff with the Wyatt family involving Bray and Braun and go from there. So that's where things are right now with WD trying to do stuff with NXT and the Cruiserweight title and set up for Money in the Bank. This coming week for qualifiers, we'll see on Monday, Rey Mysterio taking on Murphy, Alexander Black taking on Austin Theory, and Apollo Crews against MVP. On Friday, Drew Gulak has a spot uh, chance against King Corbin, and Lacey Evans takes on Sasha Banks for another spot in the women's. If you're looking for a great independent wrestling happening in our province of Ontario, look no further than Ontario Indie Road Trip. It's available on Facebook and YouTube, and we run down all the great events happening in this province. Whether you get in a car, bus, or train, there's a show near you. Support independent wrestling and the Ontario Indie Road Trip. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. Now for the crazy week in news that was happening with WWE, because the Florida governor deemed WWE an essential service, uh, well, essential media in Florida, and that's going to open up the floodgates for anybody uh, like Dana White and potentially Major League sports wanting to perform whether it's in front of a crowd or not in florida now if this is going to also set a precedence throughout the united states i don't know what to expect uh they need to keep safe as much as possible but for whatever reason it has been deemed a essential media and yeah, WD had the statement that said, we believe it is now more important than ever to provide people with a diversion from these hard times. We are producing content on a closed set with only essential personnel in attendance, following appropriate guidelines while taking additional precautions to ensure the health and wellness of our performers and staff. As a brand that has been woven into the fabric of society, WD and its superstars bring families together and deliver a sense of hope, determination, and perseverance. I guess uh, not everybody had gotten the word about that because uh, there was talk that while well, they tried to film SmackDown and Raw uh, this p past little while, that the police were there trying to shut them down, at least last Friday, um, on their first return to the Performance Center. And then the following Monday, they uh, the police were there until they got the message Uh the mayor has also declared it an essential service, though it seems also a little bit questionable at the same time. But a lot of people are wondering if this has 
anything to do with the $18.5 million Super PAC donation that was donated to Florida and is connected to Donald Trump and Linda McMahon. Now, who's to say? Maybe there's no connection, but it just seems very coincidental. And as much as I love WWE and Mystic Man, uh, the optics are really bad on this. Then, a week ago Friday, it was expected that the WWE would uh, do multiple tapings leading to Money in the Bank. And all of a sudden, Vince McMahon changed his mind and decided now to go live on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It risks the health of the talent and the crew. And you kind of have to question if this is a Vince McMahon directive or if it has anything to do with the TV deals that they have with USA and Fox. Because it's been revealed that I guess they're allowed to have maybe three pre-taped shows per year, which would include their overseas tour and Christmas potentially. Um, But everything else needs to be live. So if that's the case, then maybe that's why they are going live. But until Fox or USA end up making a statement saying, no, they don't have to adhere to that. Fox and USA are also could be held liable if any WWE superstar or talent uh, crew member, for that matter, get COVID-19 and risk the health and safety of everybody else. But then... After all that was going on, and they did live events on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of this past week, and are going to do it this next week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, there's been a report that they're going to actually start taping again in bulk. So it's very confusing of what's going on. Um, Apparently, after they do SmackDown on the 24th of April, SmackDown will return to the Performance Center on April 25th and record episodes for May 1st and 8th. Then on April 27th, Raw will be live, but they'll also tape an episode of Raw for May 4th. So however that all works out, but I guess in the end, they'll be away for two weeks potentially, and that will at least relieve some sort of sense of security. Uh, trying to avoid getting ill. I know they're probably, as I said, doing a lot of cleaning at the uh, performance center, changing the mats, wiping down the ropes, whatever they need to do to be safe, but it's still kind of questionable. I would have preferred that if they're going to keep on going, that they do bulk tapings like they're going to and let talent go home and be safe. So we'll see what happens. Then other piece of uh, news that came out was that the XFL filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. It was revealed that in doing so, that Vince McMahon, I guess, had 100% of uh, Group A or Level A uh, stakes in the XFL, whether it's because it wasn't uh, done as shares type deal, but ownership he had a hundred percent of level a and then there was a level b where things got divided out a little bit more and wd had a 23.5 uh, stake in that uh, level of ownership of the xfl and so all the people on level b 
are going to be owed uh, some money that included some um, arenas uh, that the football was happening at. It includes some of the coaches and training facilities. Who knows what all uh, different debts were uh, had. But with filing bankruptcy, they're going to have to pay those all out. But there was a statement that said the XFL quickly captured the hearts and imaginations of millions of people who love football. Unfortunately, as a new enterprise, we were not insulated from the harsh economic impacts and uncertainties caused by COVID-19 crisis. Accordingly, we have filed a voluntary petition for relief under Chapter 11 in the United States Bankruptcy uh, Code. This is heartbreaking uh, time for many, including our passionate fans, players, and staff, and we are thankful to them, our television partners, and many Americans who rallied to the XFL for love football. They went on to also say that uh, while there has been confusion over the WWE ownership stake in Alpha Entertainment and the XFL, there was, I guess, some sort of SEC filing in May 2018 as part of their Q10 uh, report for WWE and acknowledged a minor equity stake in the company. And so that statement said on April 3rd, 2018, the company entered into a transaction with Alpha Entertainment, an entity controlled by Vincent Kennedy McMahon, granting Alpha rights to launch a professional football league under the name XFL. Alpha has announced that it is expected to launch and will occur in early 2020. Under these agreements, WD received, among other things, a minority equity interest in Alpha without payment or other financial obligation on the part of WD. So I guess that states in a way that WD had the rights to the XFL name and that's how Alpha Media was able to use XFL was through WD giving it to them that way. And so, yeah, if anybody's a shareholder, they're going to have to look back on their stuff and find out what's what. And hopefully it's not a very bad situation of any embezzlement or anything illegal that way or stock tempering. However... Finally, and uh, the biggest news of the week was then on the heels of the XFL bankruptcy, WWE announced cuts to talent, producers, and other backstage crew. Um, so they were trying to save money with not having any income coming in from live events and the merchandise sales and everything that happens with them being on the road. There's a little bit of tightness needing to be done. Uh, Business-wise, even with the TV deals, I guess they don't officially have that money until they produce what they are said to. So there's money sitting there in principle, but not physically in their account. So when you're trying to keep things going the way you are, you can't really keep on paying people who are not being used. It's unfortunate. It's a business decision. Probably nobody really wanted to make it, but when you look at the list, some of them have been laid off, which those are actual WD employees, 
and they're going to be able to be brought back when things come back to what's going to happen and then when you kind of look at the talent situation some of the talent that were released were either not being used had wanted to get out beforehand and re-signed were trying to be re-signed and at the same time none of them received immediate releases like you saw with the revival these one would assume still have a 90 day no compete clause so if things were to change in 90 days wd has a right to bring them back and if not he can let them fully go looking at the list of talent that were released include rusev kurt angle zach Ryder, kurt hawkins luke gallows carl anderson Maria Canales, Mike Bennett, EC3, Drake Maverick, Leo Rush, No Way Jose, Heath Slater, Aiden English, Eric Young, Sarah Logan, Mike Chioda, Rowan, Primo, Epico, Diona Perazzo, Alexander Jessic, MJ Jenkins, Serena Deeb, Tanera Conti, Cesar Bonani, uh, and Ace Steele. Like I said, these guys could have 90-day clauses. We don't know all the details of what happened with the releases. Hopefully, someone will be able to come back. If not, when wrestling does return, AEW, New Japan, Impact, MLW, ROH, there's a lot to pick up from. Hopefully, not all of them go to one location because you don't want that organization just looking like a dumping ground for WWE and it's a lot of talent that could actually form their own organization right there but you know I expect some of them to be able to come back to be honest and a lot of the Twitter responses whether it was in written form or video form have all been positive about what their current situation is they're sad they feel that their dream is over but they know they're going to be able to pick up the pieces and resume somewhere. And who knows, in the case of people like the producers, Shane Helms mentioned that there's hope that they're going to be able to come back, and that's the initial plan. Looking at the producers that were uh, basically laid off, furloughed is the word that's being used, I include Shane Helms, Lance Storm, Billy Kidman, Mike Rotunda, Dave Finley, Pat Buck, Sean Devari, Scott Armstrong, and Sarah Stock. Uh, it's a lot of talent that it's, uh, it's going to be sitting at home, but they were also sitting at home not doing anything. Like Shane Helms said that he was maybe reviewing a couple scripts or giving a review of a show, but essentially sitting at home getting paid to do nothing. And that's not how, unfortunately, a business can maintain itself by paying people to sit at home. They were doing that with a lot of talent sitting at home, getting paid and not being used in WD's odd way of hoarding talent away from other organizations. But when you have a lower cash flow going in, you can't really do that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens after this COVID-19 pandemic clears itself up and we can resume life where people are going to go, bring people back, be able to go on the road with uh, traveling shows and get back to where people were 
in their places at the end of February before everything started changing and restrictions started going on. It's hard to believe we're only like five, six weeks into this whole thing, but the world has gone flip turned upside down the way it has. I don't know if you agree with my view on it. That's okay if you don't. I appreciate your uh, input. Shoot me a note over at our Facebook page. Email me. Be a part of the show if you really want to be a part of this. Let me know and we can do another roundtable just talking about the releases and the current state of wrestling in general. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. This concludes another episode of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, episode number 101. Thank you for joining me. As always, be sure to like and subscribe to us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your information from. And be sure to join Chris Maloney and I every Thursday night on TNT, 8 o'clock Thursdays on Facebook and YouTube. We'll be back next week with more information on what's going on in the world of wrestling, leading to Double or Nothing, Money in the Bank, and the tournament for the Cruiserweight Championship. Until then, enjoy wrestling for what it is, and we'll see you next week. loudmouth scumbags that just want attention. This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network.